Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today on our show is a very special guest who, actually, this is his first interview. His name is Paul Robinson, and he is a fellow thyroid patient uh, and also a fellow sufferer, although no longer. He wrote an incredible book that literally changed my life, and I have said many times on air, I think I would be dead without his book. His book, Recovering with T3, My Journey from Hypothyroidism to Good Health Using the T3 Thyroid Hormone is one of a kind. It's the only book of its kind that details an incredible expose on T3-only treatment. So this is an advanced discussion. If you're new to thyroid health, you're going to want to go back to episode number 131, where I speak with Dr. Forsman about hypothyroidism. Also want to check out episode 184 with Mark Sisson, where we talk about my book and hypothyroidism in general, and also keto. And if you're interested in hyperthyroidism, you can listen to episode 163, where I speak with Dr. Forsman about an overactive thyroid gland. But today is a discussion where you should have some base knowledge of thyroid health before listening in order for it to be clear. And this is really for people that are struggling with T4 medication, whether that be T4 only, such as Synthroid or Levothyroxine, or whether it is being on natural desiccated thyroid, whether you have a reverse T3 situation and you cannot convert T4 to T3 for whatever reason, this discussion is really about people who might have to go in the direction of taking T3 only. Um, I am one of the rare patients that's been on T3 only for about coming across six years now. Paul Robinson is also one of those patients as well. Uh, Paul became ill with hypothyroidism just before he was 30 years of age. He is turning 60 this year, and he has accumulated a wealth of knowledge on thyroid and adrenal dysfunction. And his research and development, uh, along with his scientific background, really enabled him to fight through this morass of misinformation in order to recover his health and then deliver the information to us. He also wrote a book called the CT3M Method, which is a circadian uh, dosing method of T3, which is reserved for people who still have not found health or have adrenal insufficiency or issues. And that is another method of dosing T3 that Paul Robinson wrote a book about. So anything regarding T3 only and hypothyroidism, this is your guy. Again, I recommend this book to anyone who has to go down this road. It is literally a life savior. I had this book by my side uh, every single day while I was dosing myself with T3 and had to be alone in this uh, endeavor. And I'm just so honored to have him on the show today and to share some of his work. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Elle. Thanks very much for having me here. So let's talk about, for starters, your personal experience, because there was a point of which you were being treated with the classic protocols of thyroid hormone replacement, and things were not getting better until one day you were like, you know what, I think these doctors are wrong, and and I'm right, and I have this inability to convert T4 to T3. Will you just share with us the you know the emotions the symptoms give us your backstory okay um well it's a long time ago now I'm, I'm nearly 60 and this started when i was about 29 years old so we're talking about an awful long time 
I was in a good job and I hadn't really felt well for a long time. Things had got worse. I just put it down to stress. Hypothyroidism is one of those things that kind of creeps up on you. The symptoms are so kind of general and vague and you just, just, you just don't realize. I, did, I didn't have any experience with thyroid problems in my family, so I just didn't have a clue. I just put it down to stress and having a time. But anyway, um, I was in the uh, delivery room of a maternity suite with my wife and we were having a, our second child. He'd just been born and um, she'd finished with a heart rate monitor. And uh, I just, for a laugh, really, I just put it on. And what I saw was just scared, scared the living daylights out. My heart rate was about 32 beats per minute. And you're not a professional athlete. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not a professional athlete. 80 was about normal for me, even 82, 83, 84. Uh, I've always been like that, even as a child. And 32, I thought, wow, something really wrong here. And that was, the, that was the turning point that took me to my doctor. Um, I knew I hadn't felt well for ages. She asked me a bunch of questions about that. And she was really, really good. I, was, I met one of the lucky, I was one of the lucky ones to meet a decent family doctor who just ran a really, really wide range of tests. She told me that um, they'd probably come back negative and she didn't expect to find anything. But, you know, she just wanted to be on the safe side. Anyway, she, you know what? Even in those days, she ran a complete thyroid panel. She ran TSH, FT3, FT4, the Hashimoto's antibodies, all of us, amongst a whole bunch of other things. So that's unusual anyway, even today. And um, they were terrible. <laughs> they were all. The FT, their TSH was like, it was about 50. I had almost no FT3 and FT4. My Hashimoto's antibodies were sky high. And she gave me the great line that so many thyroid patients have. We've got this little tablet here. This is going to fix it all. So that was... Synthrate, right? The T4? Yeah. And it basically, I felt a little better for about two weeks, um, just slightly. But basically, even as the doses were increased over a few years, you know, up and down, changed around, I never got any better. My symptoms stayed the same. That must have been really frustrating because that was several years of tinkering around with levothyroxine, right? And then at what point were you like, this is just not working? You know, I mean, how many years was it roughly before you were like, this T4 treatment is not for me? I think it was about five or six years. But of course, in the meantime, I'd seen one endocrinologist after another, and they'd all told me, I really didn't have a thyroid problem because while well, my labs were normal. So, you know, I was getting pretty frustrated. I was struggling in my job. I was struggling at home, you know, just to, to do everything. And uh, I got to about five years, I'd say, six years maybe at the most. And I was, I just got more and more ill. I started with thyroid problems, but then I had thyroid and adrenal problems. So um, the whole thing just got worse and worse and worse. And in the end, they just said, well, you've got chronic fatigue syndrome or you've got ME. Whatever it is, it isn't thyroid, so don't darken my door again. Go away. Stop asking us about thyroid. And I just couldn't believe they were saying that. I was really healthy before the thyroid problem. I wasn't healthy after it. The drug didn't fix it. End of. It was a thyroid problem. It was, it's so clear to me. Before we get into how, um, you know, your, your journey with T3 a little bit, let's talk uh, to the audience. So for everyone that doesn't know this, myself and Paul are both on T3 only medication when we'll talk about why that, you know, is considered the last resort option, but thankfully it's there for people that 
have conversion issues like the both of us do. Um, I've talked extensively about the havoc emotionally, mentally, um, relationship-wise, and everything that hypothyroidism has had on my life. Uh, I, I spent many years indoors like a hermit, just crying in a miserable mess. Uh, could you share with us some of the symptoms other than the fatigues, right, and the adrenal issues and low heart rate? What were some of the ways that hypothyroidism affected your life negatively that people might not think about? Are you talking about symptoms or are you talking about the whole ball of wax? The whole ball of wax. <laughs> I'm talking about the whole crap all of ball of wax. If there's some things out there that really are like, wow. Because, you know, I talk about in my book how it, it you know, it, it ruined, not ruined, but there were a lot of friendships that were, you know, issues, relationship issues with people. I certainly wasn't in any kind of capacity or wherewithal emotionally to deal with normal stuff. And so, you know, I was affected and then therefore my relationships and outlook was affected. I know you had some severe depression like I did. So if you could just, without going into the 40 symptoms of hypo, hypothyroidism, what were some for you that were strong? No, I won't talk about all of them, no, but I mean, there are a few I'll probably mention because when you've got adrenal problems as well as thyroid problems, you have the whole works. And I got to a point where, um, you know, I, I lost so much weight with adrenal problems. I lost 40% of my body weight. I went from 182 pounds to about 112 pounds. Mm. So I looked like I'd come out of a concentration camp. Um, I had low blood pressure. So I was passing out on many days of the week. I was still trying desperately to hold down a job because I was the major earner in the family, but I really couldn't. So, you know, the net net of that was that I lost my career. So that was, that was kind of a pretty big impact. That's a big one. Yeah, and a lot of people do. So that's why I'm happy you're sharing that yeah, with us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had two small kids um, at home, and uh, my wife was a teacher. So, you know, she had a lot of things to do as well. So it was – and I couldn't – you know, when you're in that situation, it's really, really hard to cope with stress, um, and especially when you're frightened that – you know, that you, because if you go in, if you're getting worse every few months, you start to think bad things about how where it's going to end. Yes. Got to a point where I, um, I sort of worked all the finances out. I kind of assumed that something bad was going to happen. Um, I assumed I was going to die, to be honest. I understand that. I put things in place to make sure things are going to be okay. I'm going to get emotional now. Cause yeah, it's really tough to, it is tough what you're saying. And I, I, I get choked up too sometimes when I look back and I think about what my outlook was too because I thought as well there was a point where I thought I was going to die and I thought if I have to fly to some ashram in India, like I don't care where I have to go to the ends of the earth, I was willing to do any crazy anything because life was not worth living and I'm not a suicidal person and never have been but more often than not those thoughts came about as to I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to live like this. And so I, I understand um, planning for your death. That's got to be a horrific uh, thing to look back on. Yeah. And, um, you know, I got to the point where I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even stay up for more than about three or four hours without having to go back to bed and sleep because I was so exhausted. Mm -hmm. I could barely get up the stairs. I mean, I spent most of my time when I, when I, I had a lot of time off work. I mean, I started out with the very beginning of it having some time off work, but then it got got so I was more out of work than in work. Um, so um, I spent a lot of time just on the sofa. I just couldn't cope with anything. And so trying to have trying to be a parent to two small children, mm -hmm. 
you know, a member of the family and function well uh, is really, really tough. And any friends that we did have, we couldn't really socialize with them anymore because I was just too exhausted in the evening to do anything. Um, so all of that went as well. It was a really, really, really tough time. Yeah. The, the repercussions of that are still absolutely present today. No question about it. And the, the damage that was done. Sure. That will never go away, you know. So. Yeah, we talked to some people on the podcast who it wasn't necessarily hypothyroidism, but let's say it was undiagnosed type one diabetes or or really blood glucose mismanagement. Where there are fathers that have come on, even who are doctors now, that talk about how their kids are still on eggshells because they were so used to their father being this cranky, fly off the handle, having these blood glucose moments, and it's kind of the same for hypothyroidism. I mean, if you've had such a long time suffering and people think this is who you are and you're like, actually, it's not who I am. It's just who I was because of this stupid fucking disease. And it's hard to repair those, those situations. So, you know, I know there's a lot of people listening that, um, are having trouble either at work or in the relationships. And, you know, I know both of us can speak to that. Let's get back to the point of which you realize that you were having an inability to deal with T4 and that T3 was going to be your answer because I obviously, actually your book, your book is what gave me that answer that I needed it. But, um, tell us a little bit about the, those revelatory moments. In the book, you'll know that my background is, um, R and D in science and, it, and the logic of the situation was just so clear to me. I mean, I was completely healthy before I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. After that, I wasn't. Um, and there were no other, there were no other problems that they could detect, although the endocrinologists, these so-called specialists, were very keen to tell me that there is something else going on here. Uh, it's not thyroid problems. They didn't want to investigate for something else. They were happy just to say, I've done my job. You haven't got a thyroid problem. Go away. You know, it's fine. Um, but I knew, it was, I knew it was something to do with it. So basically, I went out um, and they searched bookshops, good bookshops, and I bought about six or eight endocrinology books that the endocrinologists use when they're training. And I devoured them. I read them all. And there was lots of really good information there. Um, and it seemed very clear to me that, that my T3 levels were probably lower, a lot lower than what they used to be. Um, they were okay. They were in this reference range that those endocrinologists were so keen on pointing out. But they were kind of in the low half of that reference range. And I thought to myself, well, if it's, if it's that, if it's low T3 levels, why can't we add some T3 and test that? And obviously, I, that's, I thought that was a really great idea. So I went back to some of these endocrinologists, and what did they think? <laughs> did they think that was a great idea? Nah. They thought it was a waste of your time, probably. Yeah. Absolutely. Wasting their time, wasting my time, yeah. And is it because they were like, you know, I mean, again, I'm, you know, Dr. Forsman in the back of my book talks about this because he was a doctor and, you know, they were all taught incorrectly, sort of. And was that because those endocrinologists just thought that it did free T3 doesn't matter and that all that matters is the T4? And is that the answer you got? Like, what was their answer for why that was a waste of time? Basically, they believe these population ranges, these reference ranges that they use when they look at thyroid lab results. Right. And the reference ranges are based pretty much on healthy people, and they're very wide. There's a huge spread there, right? They're just big. And wherever, if you get a blood test result and you sit anywhere in that range, 
you know, you could sit in the bottom 5% of that range and have 95% of other people potentially having a higher FT3 than you. They'll be happy with that result because you're in the range. And that's a, that's, a, that's a massive piece of dogma that's just wrong. It is completely wrong. And there's, there's loads of research out there now that's been in the last 10 years to prove that that's completely wrong. But they're still practicing it that way. And it's, still, it's just wrong. It just doesn't work. Same with ferritin or all the other nutrient levels, right? If it's in the range, they're like, it's fine. But if it's really low in the range, they're not looking at that as a problem. So, yes, that is a massive problem. But what I'm wondering is, is you know, even though endocrinologists are terrible <laughs> um, for the most part, uh, a lot of them, at least, you know, when I've pushed them, if they do look at free T3, which they don't usually, but they kind of want to see it even in the middle of the range. So it's a little bit shocking to me that even an endocrinologist wouldn't have looked at your labs and thought, well, even if you go by the normal reference range of normal people having a mid-level T3, T3, that they didn't see was problematic that you were below that. Um, I was about a third, the bottom third probably. Okay. And that, okay. that for them was good enough. But even, wow. I think even, even halfway down can be just completely wrong. Some people need to be way up the range. In fact, there's research that's happened in the last 10 years that shows that um, people – individuals have actual reference ranges for their own levels that are like less than half the reference range they use for thyroid labs, very, very much smaller ranges. If their levels aren't within that for them personally, then they're not well. Right. And that's research hasn't reached the endocrinologist by, by in the large yet. There are some good ones, but they're few and far between. So then at what point the endocrinologist said that would be a waste of time? Uh, where, I mean, because the thing is, is... Uh, you're a pioneer here, and the only reason I was able to do this was because of your book being my Bible through this. So how the hell did you start that train of, okay, where do I go to get T3 and start this? Because you were – that's a maverick move. No one was really doing that. Yeah, I just basically um, searched around. I contacted other people. I um, This is the kind of early days of the internet. It wasn't very good. I did as much search as I could. Um I, I looked up private doctors and rang them up, rang offices up, and tried to find out if anybody was prescribing T3. I found someone. I'm not going to name their name on, on this program. But I found someone who was, would do it, but he wouldn't do it straight away. I had to go through the rigmarole of doing mm -hmm. T4 plus T3 and natural thyroid and adding some hydrocortisone in because it was obvious I had adrenal problems. I had to do all of that, so I wasted about – six or nine months doing all this other stuff, which I didn't want to do, but I had to do. And, and hurting yourself biologically is really what he was suggesting you to do by continuing to take T4, but he had to rule it out himself, right? Or herself, correct? So then eventually I got T3. Mm. And um, I think it took me from then about probably best part of three years to work out how to use it because even he, even though he's prescribing it, he usually prescribed it alongside T4. He didn't really know how to use it well. In fact, nobody really did. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to try and figure out how to use it, and I had to try and figure out how to use it to fix my adrenal issues. Um, so it was a it was a journey. Even then, it was a journey, and I was still getting, you know, slightly better, but still quite ill through that process. Till eventually, probably in that last that last year of those three years, I kind of everything clicked, and at that point, it just it was just like you know wow, I can see in color again as opposed to black and white. Wow, I can not feel like, like I'm dying. I can actually put some weight on. Everything just changed.
Yeah, and for and for some people, uh, the the wasting away that you had, where you looked like a Holocaust survivor, that I've seen that happen, and I, and then of course the opposite, which happened to me, which is you know bloated and fat and uncontrollable weight gain, and and it can kind kind of go both ways there. Um, I wonder the moment that you were just taking direct T three by itself, like the very first days or weeks of that. when you say like, oh my gosh, you can see in color again, this is my experience. So after I was seriously hypothyroid with reverse T3 and I took my first direct T3 dose, I, within a couple of hours felt a difference in my brain. And this even happened to me recently where because T3 is so fast acting, um, and you know, you talk a lot about this in the book, your book is so highly technical. It's really every doctor should read this book. It's amazing. Um, the science and, and your your personal study of it and biohacking is incredible. But what what I noticed was like it, it really even recently where I thought you know I'm going to try I'm on such a low dose of T3 right now I thought you know I'll try to just uh, I'm going to go a day without it and then around noon <laughs> I started to get really cold and depressed and here's the thing is it. It's really obvious. Once you fix the problem and then you go back and dip into the hypo, you can tell, like I could really tell in my brain. And at that moment, I just took a little bit of T3 after I was experiencing that and literally put a timer on my watch. And literally within half an hour of taking that T3, my brain lit up, my temperature changed. I was a completely new person. I mean, it, it's it's amazing the difference. So I'd love to hear, like, you must have had that, like, I had that light bulb go off where I was like, oh my God, this is my answer. This is going to save my life. Um, I'd love to hear about that, that moment for you. It was not as dramatic as that for me, because don't forget, I had really, really severe low cortisol levels. I mean, I didn't have Addison's disease because when they ran an ACTH stimulation test, my adrenals went, hey, that's great. I'm alive. You know, they had loads of, they had loads of capability, but they were not getting the signal most of the time. So uh, but I had other adrenal tests um, that were collected through urine that was basically flatlined. There was just almost nothing there. So my adrenals were so poor that even with T3, it was a real struggle. But even so, even without fixing the adrenal side of it, um, to begin with, I still got a lot better. I mean, one of the big problems, I had loads, of, loads and loads of issues. But I had terrible, terrible gut problems. I mean, I had treatment for candida and all sorts of stuff. And I couldn't eat a meal without my stomach just bloating. I just felt really uncomfortable. I I had to eat, but I dreaded eating. Uh, uh, And that went away probably within about three weeks, all of it, of taking T3, which is a a real relief because it was so uncomfortable. Um, And lots of other things improved. But because I had these severe low cortisol issues, that just held held me back because without cortisol, you don't get enough glucose flowing into the cells. And without the glucose, you don't have uh, mitochondrial action. And you don't have the energy that the cells need to work. So even if you've got lots of T3, which is like, a, like an accelerator on the, on the cells, you haven't got the energy, you haven't got the fuel that the cells need to actually work. So you know, the accelerator doesn't work properly without the fuel. So you know, the cortisol was a massive problem. It held me back. And that's why it took me the best part of three years to, to fix the whole thing. So it wasn't as dramatic as yours. It was good, but it wasn't enough. Until until you then resolve that, which, by the way, you have another book um, called The Circadian T3 Method um, of Dosing, and you really have saved so thousands and thousands of, of lives and, and helped so many people. Let's get into that a little bit, because 
in that four hour window preceding when we wake up is that kind of cortisol production window. And tell us why cortisol and T3 need each other, why the adrenals need T3 and vice versa. Because, you know, one thing we often see is because you're hypo, right, you get adrenal problems. That's kind of a classic thing. But then what happens is um, in those situations where the adrenals are down, a lot of doctors will try to treat the adrenals first in hopes that the thyroid come back. And it's a chicken and egg thing. And I've never actually seen it completely turn around in a severe case where they just treated the adrenals. You kind of have to do both. They, They go hand in hand. Can you talk about that connection a little bit for us? I wish I had some diagrams I could show everyone that's listening because this is quite complicated. Um, but I actually got this. I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, ah, I've got it. It's like Eureka moment. You know, I, I kind of worked because I read, I looked at lots of pieces of information in all these endocrinology books. And I woke up in the night and my subconscious brain had put them all together and I could see all the connections immediately. Um, and basically if you look at, if you look at, a, if you look at a 24 hour chart of all the thyroid hormones, what you will see is that um, FT3 has a pattern, free T3 has a pattern, and it, it, it rises to its peak in about the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning. It starts rising about midnight, and it rises and peaks, and then during the day, it lowers. And the reason it does that is because TSH, the thyroid-stimulating hormone from the pituitary gland, it peaks about midnight, one o'clock in the morning, it, its pulses are higher, it's more frequent, and it stimulates the, the, the thyroid production. More thyroid, more T4, more T3. But also when TSH rises, why I say it's complicated, when TSH rises, it also changes conversion rate. You actually get more TV, T4 converted to T3, so T3 gets even higher in that. You, you wonder why it would need to, wouldn't you? Why would it need to get higher in the middle of the night when you're sleeping? Yeah, because it doesn't make a lot of sense logically, because I guess I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate here. It makes no sense because T3 is seemingly that energy, get up and go, function during the day kind of hormone. And so why in the middle of the night? Yeah. Well, if you also, at the same time, because I got this from a different book, if you look at the same time, what the cortisol rhythm is over 24 hours, cortisol starts rising about three or four o'clock in the morning. For most people, I have a normal sort of day-night cycle three or four o'clock in the morning, so that by the time you're ready to get up and go to work about seven or eight o'clock, your system's like loaded up with cortisol. It's, hey, I'm ready to go for the day. And you just get up and you've got energy and you go and you're ready for the day. And, and during the day, the cortisol level drops till its lowest is about, you know, it's in the evening before bedtime. So you're, you're calm and you can sleep. Now, cortisol is the largest volume corticosteroid in the whole body. It's high volume steroid. And the pituitary and the hypothalamus have to drive the adrenals really hard and they have to work really hard to produce all this cortisol. It's no surprise at all that in order to do that, they need their accelerator pressed. They need thyroid hormone. They need T3. So there's a connection there. There's an intimate connection. FT3 needs to rise in the night and it needs to push cortisol up. And basically, I, I kind of proved it. I did a, did, a, did, a, did a test with my GP. I said, I said to her, she was quite sympathetic at that point because I'd basically been medically retired anyway. And um, I said, look, I want to run this test. I want to run it about six or eight times. I want to do 24-hour urine cortisol collection. And I wanna, what I'm going to do, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my T3 in the morning when I get up, and then I'm going to run the test, and then I'm going to take it at 
an hour earlier, I'm going to run the test. I'm going to take it an hour earlier. I'm going to run the test. And what did I find? I found that every time I took my T3 earlier till I got to about three o'clock in the morning, my cortisol level rose consistently. And I'm absolutely convinced it, this, this, is, this needs to be a standard endocrinology lecture. It needs to be part of their, 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 what they do, how they learn to practice endocrinology. They, need, they basically need to understand that there's a connection about there between T3 and cortisol. And this is largely, I believe, largely the reason why people who have never had an adrenal problem in their life, when they go on thyroid hormone, they develop adrenal problems because thyroid hormone is given. When is it given? Synthroid is given first thing in the morning. And basically, it doesn't enable that FT3 rise anymore. It stops it. And so many people develop adrenal problems because of this. It's absolutely clear to me. You're saying even people who normally didn't have an adrenal problem but then are treated with T4 only are then maybe still going down the rabbit hole of poor adrenal sufficiency? Not all cases, no, not in all cases. Some people have got a good, good, strong pituitary hypothalamic uh, adrenal system, and they don't. But many, many, many people do develop adrenal problems, whereas they never had it before. Well, you know, and that that's well, you know, that kind of links in with the argument for the fact that you know our bodies don't. If you're a normal quote normal person, our bodies don't uh, completely rely on conversion alone. There is some direct T3 output. So it would make more sense to obviously have a combination as being ideal, or if you're in our scenario and have tried all the combinations and it doesn't work and you have to go to T3 only. Um, yeah. And also too, for, for those people that have had long suffering adrenal issues and on thyroid hormone really need to look into the circadian T3 method of dosing where you do suggest, and that is a whole other ballgame, and, and would take diagnostics to make sure you're, that's appropriate for you. Uh, but where you do, you wake up early and you take the, the T3 and then you what go back to bed, right? You go, well, you, you, ideally you have it ready next to your bed. You don't turn the lights on. You're just having a little alarm. It wakes you up. You take it. You go back to sleep. Right, and then that helps with the adrenals and getting them going so that by the time your true waking time at 8 a.m. or whatever, you're you're up, you're ready to go. You're not dragging, taking three hours to get out of bed. Yeah, and I've been doing that for 20 years now. Right, you've been following the method for 20 years. Um, I mean, sorry, not 20 years. Um, it's really fascinating to me. Um, so let's talk, and look, your book is so detailed about how to dose, uh, suggestions for dosing. For the most part, people who are on direct T3 do do divided doses between three and five doses a day, and sometimes those are individual. For example, some people can't handle a nighttime dose because it keeps them up, but some people can. Um, there's uh, what I'd like to get into right now, though, is and it, let's talk about sustained release T3 because this is a little bit problematic. I've I've never tried it um, because. From what I read from you and in general speaking to other patients at the time, it didn't seem to be the right way to go because it's slow release is taken usually twice a day and it's disseminating supposedly an even dose of T3, which sometimes we don't need, right? We might need more in the morning, right? And then a little bit less as we go throughout the day. Can you just touch on that scenario, that topic? Yeah, um, I think it's got a place for sure. Um, it's particularly useful if uh, if you have an individual who really can get by on Synthroid, on T4, with a little bit of T3, you know, um, a couple of doses of T3 a day in, in, in the morning and in the middle, middle of the afternoon maybe, 
And if that's slow release, that can work really well if the doses aren't too large. But if you go to the other extreme where somebody just cannot cope with T4 or, you know, maybe a tiny little bit, but mo- they need mostly to have T3, then what you find is that you ne- really need to tailor those T3 doses and control how much you've got um, in the morning and maybe even in, in the middle of the night if you use um, CT3N, the circadian T3 method. But you need to control it through the day. And it, it and you don't have that control with slow, re- slow release. You either have periods where you've got too much of it or you're, you've got periods when you've got too little of it. It's just not controllable. What we really need is a little device we can put on our wrist that we can program or, you know, we program along with our doctor maybe if it's good and, and have release of T3 in a, in a smooth pattern, a shape that's, that, is, that is, you know, what we need over 24 hours. That's not there yet. I mean, that will come. Uh, that sort of um, chrono medications is definitely happening, but it's, you know, we're probably 30, 50 years away from that now. But that's what we really need. But I don't think it's very difficult. It's very difficult to use sustained release T3. I've seen lots of people who've tried to use it and have come and talked to me and said, look, you know, I've got all these problems. And, and many times that has just gone away with, with standard T3. I think it's got a, it's got a role for sure, but I, I just... I don't see it working particularly well when somebody has to rely on, you know, rely on T3 only. And let me just clear up for the audience as to why doctors are afraid of direct T3, which is what Paul and I both take, which is not sustained release. It's immediate. Um, Well, I guess it sort of peaks within a couple hours, dissipates in four is, I guess, a standard way to look at it. But the, the problem with slow release T3 in doctors is that they are so worried about patient compliance and because direct T3 peaks and dissipates and has a shorter half-life than T3, which is that pro-hormone that, that's a little bit steadier and lasts longer, they're scared. Like, they're so afraid that if that patient runs out of T3 and doesn't take their next dose, it's really unfounded fears of a doctor and them not understanding how to use direct T3, which is why your book is so important, because it's so well-researched and there's so much great, uh, like you said, all the blood work and, and, and tests that you did to, to prove these theories, even with yourself and your own doctor. Um, I, let's talk a little bit about heart rate. So this is something that's really interesting. I mean, when you go on T3 only, I tell people I warn against it, of course, it's and I know you do too, as far as, Hey, this is kind of the last resort option, um, for T3 only and other things should be exhausted first because clearly we want our endocrine system to convert T4 if it can and do, do its job for us. But if it can't and you have to go on T3 only, it, it's a scary endeavor because it does take a lot of personal biohacking. I mean, man, I had your book. Your book was like a Bible. I've gone through so many of them because it's something torn up and notes in them. And I mean, I remember just having a temperature, having the thermometer, my blood pressure, you know, and, and like it's constant attention to detail because your doctor can't be with you every second and you don't have T4 as a steady thing. So this is, this becomes a very self-involved process. And Sometimes it's overwhelming because you're like, why am I my own freaking doctor? You know, I'm sitting here at home being my own doctor. One of the things I noticed, and I know you've mentioned this too, and while we can't get into all of the details, let's touch on heart rate, which you mentioned at the beginning. Because sometimes you can have an elevated heart rate if your heart is working too hard and needs T3, so you can be kind of hypo with a higher heart rate. For the most part, though, it's lower. Can you give us some parameters on this? Because you know, what I have noticed, and I now, thanks to continuous heart rate monitors, you know, like I have a continuous uh, wristwatch, 
I have been able to adjust and understand when I'm on too much T3 or too low because of getting to know my heart rate. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. It does. Yeah. So if you could touch on that whole topic a little bit, we can get into that. Um, well, there's, I think there's two, two things to say about it. One is that um, I don't think anything, any one measure, uh, be it thyroid labs or heart rate or blood pressure or um, body temperature, any one thing on its own can be used in isolation to uh, to judge whether uh, a dosing is high or low. It's kind of difficult to do that um, unless you're, you're used to it. Like you say, you've been doing it a long time now and you've got a real intuition for your own body. I mean, I can tell my blood pressure now without even measuring it. Right. You become very intuitive, right? Yeah. You do. Because you listen to your body for so long that you really get to know it and you know what's wrong. Um, recently, I had a lot of stress and, you know, blood pressure is really, they say you can never tell what your blood pressure is. <laughs> I knew what it was. I did a cortisol test. My cortisol was a bit up. I had a lot of stress for some reasons I'm not going to discuss here. But um, you do get very intuitive. But in general, you shouldn't rely on one measure. You should look at the whole picture. Look at your symptoms. Look at you know, look at your energy level, your skin, your hair condition, uh, um, you know, your, your gut function, you know, and heart rate and blood pressure and temperature. Not looking at one thing in isolation. Look at the whole picture. That's one thing. And the second thing is that, as you said, uh, with your your heart rate monitor, if you see the tr if you see a regular regular pattern to it you can see things going up and then down if you see that pattern you can recognize something from the pattern as well you, if you just look at it in like once a day a snapshot that's not going to give you the picture often particularly if you're hunting a problem if something's not working quite right you need to take more measures so you can see the pattern so it's the pattern and the relationship to everything else that's important i don't know if that answers it really no it is it is um and like, for example, in the times when I've been on, when my T3 dose has been too high, aside from some overstimulation symptoms, which again, you have to go by that, <clears throat> and also the temperature, I, the, one of the tip-offs would be is I would, I, I would feel a little off and then look at my pulse and see that it was too high for resting for me, you know, for what was normal for me. Uh, of course, given the circumstance that I didn't have a flu that all of a sudden just happened or an infection, but um, it'd be kind of a tip off to me. The other thing I noticed, and I'm so glad you wrote this in your book, is um, in talking with T3 patients, you have um, relayed back in your book that there is, I have noticed a difference in after ovulation as a woman and the difference in possibly changing, adding or subtracting T3 during that time. So again, when someone's on T4 or a T4, T3 combination, and they're not necessarily feeling those fluctuations as much because that's a steady program for them. When you're on T3 only, you're the gauge, you're the T4, right? You're the one making these decisions. And so it really does require, uh, it, it's like, do not go down this road unless you are willing to take copious notes. And that's what I love about your book is is detailing that we do have to look at all of these measures. And then again, it's like if someone's got a low, I've seen people with a lower T3 that are on thyroid hormone and they're doing great because they're very T3 efficient and they don't have any symptoms at all. So again, you know, in the absence of any symptoms is a 
heart rate of 60, fine. Sure, for an athletic person, yeah. If they don't have any other symptoms, that's great. But if it's below that and someone's suffering greatly, then that could be an indicator. Yeah. Uh, and and just, to, just to reiterate that, I have always said, I mean, T3 is the treatment of last resort. You only go there if it's the only way that you can be well and live your life happily. If you can be well on T4, that's by far and away the simplest drug to use. I know Synthroid's got a bad name amongst thyroid patients, but some people do okay on it. And if they can, good luck to them because it makes their life simple. Take a tablet a day and poof, that's it. And some people need T4 and a little bit of T3 or NDT. You know, they're, they're all slightly easier. Even the mixtures are slightly easier than using T3. You only use T3 if you need to. Um, but if you need to, you need a good solution. And before the book, there wasn't a good solution. Doctors, even now, still don't know how to use it properly. They really don't, which is why your book is so important. Because if your doctor is not willing to learn or read your book, then as a patient, you have to arm yourself with this. Because again, and I can only, um, I, I mean, I have been wanting to talk to you for years because, you know, uh, you, you saved my life, your book saved my life, and there's really no other comprehensive book on the excruciating details of how to dose, what to look out for, all of the variables involved with T3 dosing, and especially the adrenal situation, which I did not have to do the circadian method of dosing, which means I wake up and just take my T3 when I wake up, um, and my cortisol is fine. But for those that aren't, there's an answer there that, again, no one else has found but you. So I, I'm just so grateful for your book and anybody who's suffering out there can you tell us um, what's your assessment of why you can't convert T4? Because some people have like a temporary reverse T3 situation, right? It's either uh, maybe they have Lyme's disease that's affecting it. Maybe they have high mercury and it's just a matter of getting rid of that. And, you know, there could be a lot of underlying causes of reverse T3, meaning the T4 not converting and keeping the person hypo. But you have a little bit of an alternative uh, reason, right? I, I've got, I don't know, to be honest, I'm going to give you a don't know answer. I, I've got about three alternatives. I, I thought I had one about six months ago, but now I've got at least three, possibly more. I don't know the answer. I'm currently in the process, of, I haven't got the result back yet, but I'm testing the DIO2 um, enzyme, um, um, just to, uh, gene, sorry, to, to, just to see if um, I've got a ge genetic defect that affects conversion. I doubt it's that. I think that's going to come back next week. I think that's going to be clear, but I felt I needed to do that just to my own satisfaction. Um, I think there are another couple of reasons. One is when someone gets Hashis, they get Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, often the symptoms come gradually and it can have been damaging the thyroid for some time. Uh, before even the symptoms become really obvious, and if they're not, if you can't, if you can't stop the Hashimoto's thyroid destruction quickly, then the thyroid gland gets damaged, right? And then ultimately right. it will get destroyed. In my case, it's gone now, right? Uh, it's gone completely. Um, Meaning your thyroid is atrophied. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's almost like having a total thyroidectomy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, what we know from, again, relatively recent research is that the thyroid gland, its contribution to T3 in the body is huge. It's not just um, a proportion of T3 it produces, but it also converts more T4 to T3 than any other tissue. That was not thought to be true 10, 15 years ago. It is now. So when you lose to thyroid tissue, you are losing a huge amount of T3 in the body, right? Okay, I see what let me clarify there. So you're so what you're saying is once that 
gland has become atrophied, whether it's Hashimoto's attacking it or whatever, radioactive iodine, blow it out, etc., that once that tissue is kind of inactive and, and, and kind of dead, then conversion is problematic because it can't happen within those tissues because they're dead. Is that what you're saying? So there might be more of a conversion issue as a result of a sort of, quote, dead thyroid? Yes, there's a conversion problem and you've lost the production of T3 because the thyroid produces more than T4. It produces T3 and T4. So you're losing the produced T3 and and the um, and the converted T3. And also there's this um, inf- information that's on the internet, it's been around for ages, it says that the thyroid produces 80% T4 and 20% T3. Now, that apparently, I've been talking to probably one of the leading thyroid researchers in the world, and he says that research is flawed, it's just not right. If you look at a rat, right, I'm sorry to talk about rats, but I'm gonna talk about rats for a bit. Um, if you look at a rat, whose endocrinology is somewhat similar to humans, a rat produces 60% T4 and 40% T3. Right, that's a very different ratio. So, well, well, let me let me ask you about that though. So, when I talk about that eighty twenty, because that is sort of the current research, and you know, my my book could be wrong, but when I when I look at it there, I, I look at it though as though about fifty percent of that eighty percent of the T four is going to be converted into T three anyway. Are, are we missing that angle to it, or are you saying even with that angle, eighty twenty might be wrong. It could be more. It could be less 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 than eighty and more than twenty. That's one thing. Right. Not only that, even if it was 80-20, you'd still be losing that 20% if the thyroid gland gets, starts to get destroyed. You, that goes down. But also there's a conversion aspect. The conversion aspect is really significant. And as, as the thyroid gland gets destroyed in Hashimoto's or if it's removed in a thyroidectomy, then you lose the converted element as well as the produced element. And that's quite a lot of T3. What they found out in research on um, thyroid cancer patients who've lost their thyroid is that their FT3 level is pretty much consistently lower after that thyroidectomy when they're treated with T4 than they, they were before it. It's significantly less. And they actually, a lot, many of these people do not feel well until they're given extra T3 till that FT3 level comes up, right? So people have hashies, which is the, it's the biggest cause of thyroid problems. People have got hashies or people that have got had thyroidectomies are, in, are really not in a good state. So Going back to the original question, that could partly be my issue. I don't know. Right. No, that's an interesting um, expose about that gland because I know even Dr. Forsman on my book says in general that if you can actually just save, it's actually good to have the gland, period. And likely that leads into what you're saying, that if it's not completely atrophied, that there's conversion there. If you're taking thyroid hormone, that can be helped. And also just to red alert to people that don't have it or it has been uh, destroyed through Hashimoto's or another means that you might need to look at, like you said, higher direct T3, less T4, and that might be a, a better combination for that person. Absolutely spot on. I couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah. So that's one other issue. And the other issue for me is possibly cortisol. I mean, I have this massive cortisol issue and we know very well now that cortisol has a big impact on, um, the action of thyroid hormone. So it could be that. I just don't know the actual reason. I may never know the actual reason. It's unfortunate. I have volunteered myself to a number of endocrinologists to say, come on, guys, kind of work out. Yeah, let's do a study. <laughs> I, can't even take, I can't even take the smallest amount of thyroxine. I can't take uh, right. I can't take 25 micrograms for more than about four days before all my symptoms come racing back. And that should, that, that should, ring, that should make them interested, but nah, they're not interested. 
I know it's so crazy. And that, that says a lot to people, you know, first of all, you know, get the reverse T3 tested, do the ratio and see if things are converting to begin with. Um, because, uh, it's reverse T3 at least that whether, you know, your issue is caused by an outside factor or some inherent, uh, issue or with your gland at the end of the day, this issue is on the rise, Paul. There are more and more people that have inability to convert T4 to T3. And there's a million factors there, of course. Lifestyle, this, stress. I mean, there's a million things. You know, you talk even about mercury and silver fillings in your mouth. I do too. I just had to get one removed five months ago and had to go through a mercury detox because that was something I had not done yet in this whole, all these years of going down this road. You know, it's extensive uh, continual biohacking until you get to where you need to go. Although, I mean, I feel great as we speak right now, but it is something I had to deal with. So this is on the rise, right? There are more and more people, and I'm sure they're all flooding to you and your website as well. Is, is that what you're saying, that it's just increasing? I am not seeing it decreasing, Al. <laughs> <laughs> I think the stress of modern life is a big factor. I mean, there's lots of stress. Environmental um, pollution, that sort of stress, um, the, the stuff that they put in the foods, is a stress on the gut and and just the stress of life and work and everything else is causing many, many more adrenal issues. So the stress, it is not going to get less. It's absolutely not going to get less. And until the endocrinology profession take the research and the science that's already there on board and start being a bit more um, sensitive and tailoring solutions to the individual so they get well because so many of these people can actually get well and they're not they're just being left sick for 10 20 30 years yes and it's just completely unnecessary it is and i just learned that someone contacted me from denmark and said that they won't even test free t3 at all and they lose their license and get in trouble if they even do and you know you're talking about how does a patient like you know paul and i uh he's in the uk i'm here you know it's like, how do we change, you know, the endocrinology association, right? I mean, we're doing our best through the books and, and through getting the information out there. But at the end of the day, it's got to be patience, you know, and I guess that's the biggest thing here is you have to become your own advocate and you have to become your own expert because as you and I have seen, you can find a great doctor to work with you, but they're not also going to be with you 24 seven. And you're going to still have to monitor these things yourself. And, it's better to become your own expert because had I not read your book, um, I kind of feel like I'd be dead by now. I, I, I was left in the dust and I live in Los Angeles among millions of famous doctors. And so, you know, if it's happening to me here, it's, it's happening everywhere. Um, one of the things I really love about your book is you are extremely conservative, which I think is very important about the way in which you would go about dosing T3. So there's a lot of patients that find a doctor who's open to T3 and then automatically like, here's 50 micrograms of slow-release T3. And you're like, whoa, let's give the adrenals and other things time. And if you don't have proper iron storage, right, these are all factors. What I love is that you are all about minimum effective dose, start small, and then you you go up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can. Um, can I just say one more thing? Oh, yeah. I think there is research now that is sufficient to show the endocrinologists how they should be dealing with thyroid problems. It's already there. Um, I think it normally takes 10 to 20 years for things to really change, even when the research is there. So I think we have to wait, but I think the research is already there. There's a piece, there's several pieces of research I've read recently 
um, that basically show that the, out of all the thyroid labs, the only one that correlates to change in symptoms when people are being treated is which? FT3. That's right. And that is literally what Dr. Forsman says in the back of my book, which is, you know, even though they didn't learn it that way, free T3 result often corresponds with exactly how the person is feeling, no matter who you are, thyroid problem or not. FT4 doesn't correlate to symptoms and neither does TSH. You know, on that note, before we get into the conservative way to dose, let me ask you this then. Um, well, I, I, I know you talk about it in your book a little bit, but there are people that say T4 is necessary for hair and heart health. Now, I've been on T3 only for coming on six years and I have great hair. <laughs> I don't have any issues with my heart as far as I know. Um, so let's talk about why we, because if T3, it, it's really the biologically active hormone, right? And, and, and unless it gets to where it needs to go, it's not going to work. But if, frankly, if you can give a person all the T4 in the, in the world and if it doesn't convert to the thing that matters, for, you know, T3, then, then it's useless. So does T4 matter? And then, you know, oftentimes people with natural desiccated, because natural desiccated has T1, T2, calcitonin, which are sort of like subthyroid hormones. Like, do, we, do we need these things? Let me speak to all of that then. In that case, T3 is um, 10 times more potent than T4. T3 binds to the nuclear thyroid receptors, right? T4 is, doesn't have that effect on genes at all. It has a non-genomic action. But not only that, where it does bind to receptors, it, it binds less weakly than T3. So T4 is really not very significant. So that's one point. The second point is that any research that's been done on, on the, the need for T4 has been done on people that are on T4 or have a normal thyroid or on rodents or whatever. It hasn't been done on a population of rodents or people that are only on T3. <laughs> no, for a fact is the human body has amazing ways of compensating when one thing isn't present. The research just hasn't been done on cohorts of animals or people on just T3. So they, they, do, these, they do these pieces of research. It could be on T4 effect on the hair or T4 effect on the brain or T4 effect on the fetus or on the heart or on bone loss. And often it's, it's, done, it's done in a really poor way. The research is done poorly. And then they draw conclusions that just don't add up. Um, and that's a really big problem. And, and I think partly because they don't actually like T3. They actually don't study it uh, as, uh, you know, they don't study animals or people on T3 only at all. Um, I, you know, I work with patients, that are, uh, people that, you know, women that couldn't get pregnant on T4 or T4, T3 that did get pregnant on T3 only. And they had a battle to stay on it because the doctors wanted them on T4, even though they felt really ill and thought they'd lose the fetus on T4. Which they, which they likely would have. There's tons of miscarriages as a result of that because we do need T3. And in fact, sometimes pregnant women need more during their pregnancy. So, you know, yeah. You know, I just think, I think, that, I think there's a need for proper research. But until endocrinologists start to believe that there's a role for people on T3 only and not just Synthroid works for everything. You know, you don't need anything other than Synthroid. Well, unless that changes, they're never, the research on this stuff is never going to happen properly. And that's the problem. 
So that's, you know, that's, that's the one thing I wanted to say. Absolutely. And, you know, Dr. Forsman even says in the back of my book about, listen, if you start doing research at one of these universities on T3, the Synthroid people and everyone doing the research on that, they're going to shut it down and take their money away from the school. So it's like, you know, how do you even get one of these? Uh, although I'll just say right now on the airwaves, I'm happy to volunteer myself as a guinea pig for anyone that's willing to do some research. Um, and I'm sure like you as well, I'd be totally happy to have some of these, uh, because clearly as a patient, if you wanted to do all of these, and you did a lot of these diagnostic tests, that's a lot of money and time, you know, to get pricked with the needle and have to get these tests and the timing of it. I mean, then that's like, you're a full-time researcher. So it'd be great if we get some of these studies and then, um, thank you for that expose. What about T1, T2, and calcitonin that are in natural desiccated thyroid? T1 and T2 is basically created from T3. So anyone that's on natural desiccated thyroid or on T3 only um, or has enough T3 converted from T4 will get enough T2, T2 and T1. So there is no shortage of T2 and T1 for anybody like you and me on T3 only. And that's a myth. That's an internet myth that's been spread for years by those people that are very, very, very keen on natural desiccated thyroid or T4, T3. Right. There's not a problem with that. In terms of calcitonin, um, the endocrinologists themselves from studies say that, you know, it's produced by the thyroid. Um, but to be honest, there's no evidence of a problem with either high or low calcitonin. And um, I haven't personally seen any evidence of any issues with people on T3 only that have had a problem with the lack of calcitonin if they've lost their thyroid or, you know, want, you know, from either Hashimoto's or from a thyroidectomy. So I don't see an issue with it. I think there's an awful lot of rumor mongering and, you know, a lot of doctors, I don't know, doctors just, I think doctors often want to find excuses to not give people T3 because they're nervous about the patient getting involved in managing it because they can't, they know they can't be there every day, every week trying to help work the dosage out they're just scared of it and they're scared of it partly because they don't understand how to use it they're not taught how to use it i mean i i, off, I volunteered to go and speak to endocrinologists many times and nobody once ever since the book has been out has ever asked me to come and speak to them i mean i thought i thought people i thought endocrinologists would be really really interested in recovering with t3 even the guy who used to be my endocrinologist who was a good guy I, I wrote to him and I volunteered. Never heard, of, never heard a word back. Yeah, it's interesting. They don't, it's it's hard to challenge the ego, and it's hard to challenge. You know, the, the doctors has to challenge themselves and everything they learn, and that's a hard place to be. But thankfully, there's been some doctors that are coming out and falling on their own sword and saying, "Hey, we were taught wrong." And you know, it's only those doctors that really go above and beyond and are still quote practicing medicine. I mean, listen, I was told uh, by a doctor that I would give myself a heart attack if I took T3. And I just walked out of there and I, you know, I wasn't scared. I was angry. I was like, what an asshole. You know, I knew that it was going to save my life. It has saved my life. And I didn't give myself a heart attack. Um, but considering how powerful T3 is, and we could talk another hour on this, but in wrapping up, I guess I'll just say that you know, and maybe you can touch on this, you detail all the nuances behind starting slow. What are the overstimulation symptoms? How long do you wait? But I do just want to say this to people as someone who's been on T3 only over time, 
as things get metabolically cleaned up, whether that's through just being on T3 only for a while and having systems of the body kind of get back into order or whether it be health or whether it be blood glucose management, sometimes when things get better, like for example, I used to be on 100 micrograms of T3 a day. It's quite a large dose, but hey, it was what I needed then. Then I was on 50, you know, and then and then things change. So it's one of those things that over time, it can fluctuate and verse and, and sometimes people on, on desiccated too, but for the most part, they're in a little bit of a steadier program where they might need to test twice a year and can make seasonal adjustments. But at the end of the day, you have to be really in tune with this when you're on T3 only because changes will happen over time. And I've seen that myself. And so sometimes I have to go back to the original drawing board and I've probably pulled out your book. I mean, I can't even count the many times over the years that I've pulled out your book to refer to it to remind myself of some of these these nuances. Is there anything about that you'd like to touch on? I would say I was in the same boat as you. You know, I've had to change things sometimes. Um, um, you know, other things change as well. So it's often it's often very easy to assume it's the thyroid hormone that's changing. It could be something else. You know, it could be cortisol. It could be, you know, a gut problem. It could be whatever. It's a complicated thing. Um, um, but as long as you have a safe protocol that you're using and you have a method behind it uh, that gathers data and tests the small change out, you're in, you're in a good place. You're in a safe, safe, safe place. And my book has always been about safe. It's about being safe. And, um, with any thyroid hormone, you have to be safe. You can get things wrong with T4. You, you can get desperately ill with T4. I was made ill by my first doctor. Bless her. I didn't. She didn't do it on purpose, but I was put off weeks, off for six weeks of work with too much T4. It, it stressed my system out completely, and my left eyeball nearly fell out. It was so enlarged. It was horrible. Um, sorry for your listeners if that's too appalling, but it was not a good situation. I couldn't even hold a cup of coffee or anything for a while. My hands were shaking so badly. Um, so any thyroid hormone can go wrong, but I put a lot of effort into the book to make it really, really safe. And I worked with a lot of people before I finished writing it to make sure it wasn't just for me. It was a general book. It worked, worked. it was flexible enough. The protocol was flexible enough to work with a wide range of people. But safety is key with any of these hormones, T3 especially. Good, good point. T3 especially, which I warned about, but also even NDT because there's people that just – you know, they'll take an initial dose of NDT, they'll start to feel a little bit better, and then they just kind of like keep taking more and more until they're like, I'm just going to keep taking more and more of this until my symptoms go away, right? You're like, no, no, that's not how it works. This, <laughs> you got to do some blood work, some diagnostics, and like you said, it may be low ferritin. It may be staying at a dose for a little while while you let stuff, the symphony of hormones, get back in order and clean up, and it may be a little bit of a waiting period. There might even be just a difference of a quarter grain increase or decrease with NDT that could make the difference. And at that point, you can't really go by symptoms, you know, and I know you would agree with this, but when people, and this can be a fail with T3 only, you can feel cold maybe, like you've got the chills, but is that really your cold or actually you're on too much T3 that created kind of a fever that gave you those chills or are you truly cold? And there's only one way to diagnostically figure that out, which is taking your temperature. So sometimes people will rely on just gathering a symptom without the diagnostics. Does that make sense? So it is very important that you do these diagnostics because your mind could be off. You might feel cold, but are you truly, right? Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely it does, yeah. I mean, sometimes your intuition is telling you one thing, but when you look at the data, the data says something else, and you have to go with the data. Right, absolutely. 
So let's tell everyone, well, we will put all of the uh, links to connect with you in the show notes, your book, Recovering with T3, uh, an amazing book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. And also you have an incredible website uh, with so many success stories and great information called recoveringwitht3.com. Um, tell us, how do you, do you work with patients all over the world? Because I, I assume there's just a great need to talk to you about T3 dosing and experiences. Right. Um, I, I worked with patients for about 10 years on, on many forums and, and then on my own forum for quite a few years as well. And um, I, I got to the point where I needed a change and I needed to do some other things. So I am starting to do a few online consults, but I, I kind of paused that temporarily because I am in the process of writing a third book. So that's nearly finished. I'm about a month away from that now in terms of editing. And then I'll be doing some coaching sessions, consults. Again, I won't be doing that many because I don't want to do it full time. But um, and I still help people via my website and via a Facebook page that I have. But it's not a forum as such. So I do a little bit online still, and I will do a few a few consults. But um, I'm trying to do other things. You know, I'm nearly 60 years old. I've been doing this for a long time, and um, I'm trying to get more of a balance, if you like, Al. Yeah, I absolutely. I get it too. Sometimes I go through those phases myself. Um, uh, and, and obviously, this is all individual, but out of cur- just curiosity's sake, can you tell us what your current T3 dosing schedule is? Yeah, I take uh, 20 micrograms at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 a.m., and I take 20 micrograms at uh, about 11 um, a.m., and these can vary a little bit. If I, I'm tolerant to it now, so if, if it varies by an hour or so, it doesn't make an awful lot of difference as long as I don't do it every day. And I take 20 micrograms around 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's it. It's pretty 60 micrograms. It's not a massive dose, to be honest. A lot of people take a lot more than that. That's right. And do you, and does that change? I think at one point, right, you were on a little bit less, maybe 45. So are there some fluctuating changes you've noticed with either uh, times of year, or is it just individual to what's going on in your body at any given time? The biggest change has been uh, when I first started, I couldn't tolerate as much because my adrenals were still not that responsive. My pituitary hypothalamic axis was not that responsive. And so originally, I could only tolerate about 40 micrograms total. And that's been the biggest change. I think, to be honest, most of the times I've changed the dosage over the years. I thought I needed to change the dosage, but it's turned out to be something else going on, like a cortisol issue or something. And I've had to end up going back to the same dose. I've been pretty stable on 60 micrograms for quite a long time. Uh, so then in your case, it's even, it's an evenly dosed situation for you, 20, 20, 20. Yeah, and, uh, because my, 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 the, my adrenal side of things is so much stronger now. It's really, really, you know you know, either borderline too high or it's just about spot on. So, I mean, I haven't got weak adrenals anymore. So uh, for me, I, I, I can take an even dose. And years ago, as the cortisol level fell during the day, I had to take a lower third dose. I don't need to do that anymore. So um, there are changes over time. Well, I really appreciate, honestly, anyone out there suffering with a reverse T3 situation or someone that's going to need to add direct T3 to their life, whether it's to their T4 or whether it's T3 only like myself and Paul, please go and do yourself a favor and get two copies, one for your doctor's wall. In fact, I'm going to give your book to Dr. Forsman because I feel that uh, he will read it and it is really incredibly important that doctors read this book. Recovering with T3 by Paul Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Al, for having me here. I appreciate it. Thank you.
Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.